Welcome to the Bermagui Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here you'll find the recording of messages from our weekly gatherings. We pray you'll be challenged and encouraged by today's message. For my message today, I figured because I'm not here for the next two Sundays, I figured this can be my opportunity to give my Christmas message. Um, to sort of, I guess, share my thoughts around it. Um, and I, I want to start with a question. Is, you know, like, what part of the Christmas story really speaks to you? Because there's so many great little bits, isn't there? There's so many little things that just... Give me a the back. There's so many, I guess, elements to it and little parts that just speak to you. You know, like, one of the ones that come to me is, you know, those gifts that the wise men bring. You know, yes, you know, we, we sing about it and we tell it, you know, gold, frankincense and myrrh. But when you actually sort of start to understand what that signifies, that they were just ideal to celebrate the birth of the Messiah. You know, because gold was a gift for a king. You know, when kings came to meet each other, that's what they did. They, they, they exchanged gold and gems and jewels and things like that. So one to give gold was to signify, no, this is the king. This is, this is God. The gift of frankincense was a gift for a priest. You know, frankincense was one of the key ingredients that they had for their, for their incense that they burned in the temple. And so I was just signifying that you know, Jesus came, you know, not only as king, but he came as our priest to, to connect us to God. And then the myrrh. It was a gift for a dead man. It's a gift for a funeral. Myrrh was used for embalming and, and you know, treating the, the body after death. And just things like that. There's, there's elements like that that just speak to me from the Christmas story. That's not my focus for today, but that's the one I wanted to highlight. But I find it fascinating that you know, in our society, in our world, you know, even though we're getting you know, so secular and so far from our Christian heritage, the Christmas story still gets told. You know, it still gets displayed. You, know, you go, go to the Christmas lights, especially those houses that do the big setups. You know, they still always have a nativity scene in there. And there is something just simplistic yet just powerful with those images. And they speak so clearly of the hope that we have in Christ. And, you know, there's people that try to pull away from that and sort of go, oh, you know, it is just a celebration now. But they try to celebrate hope. They try to celebrate love. They celebrate family. They celebrate, you know, these things which are, they only exist because of the Christmas story, because of the true nature of the Christmas story, that it was the birthing of hope, the birthing of this renewed connection to God. You know, when they take that element away, in a sense, yes, the Christmas message can feel hollow. You know, you might even ask people, say, well, you know, why, why do you celebrate Christmas if you don't celebrate the true meaning of it? But at the same time, I love the fact that our community still does because it provides an opportunity to share the message of Jesus Christ. You know, there's, there's arguments that go against having Christmas, you know, both in the secular realm and even within the church. You may have heard these, you might have, might have known people that sort of line up to these. And, you know, 
each to their own in that sense, but I just wanted to address them a little bit. You know, some sort of say, well, you know, no, we should just scrap Christmas altogether because it's just so commercialised. It's so, it's so focused around the money spent and the, 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 the overindulgence of it. And, you know, admittedly, yeah, that's true. Yeah, especially in our Western culture, it's, there is too much money spent on Christmas. There really is. But at the same time, there's something about celebrating. There's something about making that extra effort and just doing that extra little thing to just go, no, this is something worthwhile. This is something worth gathering friends and family together. This is something worthwhile you know, sharing a nice meal together about. Because it is. It's the birth of our hope. It's the birth of our renewed relationship with God. You know? Others like to attack it because of some of the connections to its origins. You know, if you want to research this, I'm not going to go into the, the, the finer details of it, but you know, when the, the, the early Christian um, forefathers started to decide they wanted to celebrate the birth of Jesus, they picked it at the same time as the, the winter solstice celebrations that, they, that the pagans would celebrate. And there's connections made and there's even you know, some of the imagery that, that sort of has carried over into the Christian traditions and the church had to battle with, you know, how did that work in the sense of expressing their Christian beliefs, but, you know, the, these different pagan ideas sort of coming into the church. And the fact is that's, that's stuff that we deal with even today. You know, the 21st century church is still battling with, oh, you know, there's, there's all these ideas coming from the outside world that we need to try and negotiate and go, well, what is our, our proper response? It's nothing new. And so some people go, oh, you know, because of these, these, these pagan connections to, 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 to the origin of Christian, we shouldn't, uh, Christmas, we shouldn't have it. But the fact is, you know, at Christmas... We don't see people singing, hear people singing carols to these pagan gods, do we? We don't, we don't hear people sing, um, putting up displays and, and images of these, of these pagan rituals. No, we see nativity scenes. We hear carols declaring the birth of Jesus. You know, despite what these origins might be and some of the connections might be, I think it boils down to, well, what are we doing now? And why are we doing it now? And as I said, you know, it's an opportunity. There's just such a, a beauty and an ease to talk about Jesus during this season because it's just part of the Christmas story. You know, working in the primary school, you know, schools are you know, very clear on, you know, we, 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 we don't talk about faith and things like that. You know, we're a secular organisation, all that sort of thing. But I tell you what, every classroom I go into, they start to talk about the kids about Christmas and the story of Jesus always gets its way in there. And the teachers just go, well, that is why we have Christmas. <laughs> they, they can't deny that fact. You know, it's what we're celebrating and, 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 and how we celebrate it now. So yeah, you know, don't, don't let Christmas bust the the budget. <laughs> and yes, you know, we could let all the imagery of Christmas of Santa and the trees and all that sort of 
consume us. Let's make sure that we keep Christmas as what it should be, a celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. And let's use it as that opportunity. So the main point I wanted to share, the main sort of, I guess, my, my perspective on Christmas is that for me, Christmas really is, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a magical, majestic, m- miraculous story. It really is. But it's a very human story as well. There's so many aspects to it that I just go, you know, wow, you know, it's just so keyed into who we are as people. And one of those perspectives is actually one that doesn't really necessarily get spoken of much and there's not a lot about it. But when you spend a bit of time just sort of reflecting on it, I think there's just a lot you can get from it. And that's the perspective of Joseph, his take on it. So let's, let, just let me read Matthew. If you want to open up, you can open the Bible to, to Matthew 1, 18 to 24. Because Joseph doesn't get a lot of mention in Scripture. He really doesn't. And so a lot of the... The tradition around his story and his part in the story, um, we can't really directly derive from Scripture. Uh, the bits we can, you know, there's definitely keys we can pull from that, but there's some elements I want to highlight as well that, that just come out of, I guess, the, the church's tradition and, I guess, some of the stories that they tr- think may be true about Joseph. We don't know for sure, obviously, because we, we didn't have video cameras and photos back then of, of who he was and what he looked like and that sort of thing. But this is where Joseph sort of steps into the story. So Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. It says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to, to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through the prophet. This is out of Isaiah 7. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth to a son, and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and took Mary as his wife. But he did did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. You know, as I said, some of these traditions sort of try to paint a picture of, you know, who was this character of Jesus? What, What do we know about him? Some of the traditions hold that he was actually an older man that he was actually a widower, that, that these, these brothers of Jesus they speak about were actually from a previous marriage that he had and that he took Mary in as, a, a, as an elder of the community to sort of protect her and, and, and take her on. And that's why we don't see him later on in life of Jesus, that he you know, just obviously passed away. Uh, we don't know that for sure. Um, some of these stories actually build on that and say that he, didn't, he never actually had relations with her to protect that virginity, and that's why they sort of hold up this idea of the Virgin Mary for eternal. Um, I think Scripture sort of debates that a little bit, but um, but the fact is, what we do have in Scripture and what we can derive from it, I think there's some real power in there. You know, that, that first bit, you know, where upon hearing that Mary was pregnant, 
he didn't just go into a blind rage. He didn't just, he didn't just react and go, oh, what's going on here? He was calculated. He was, he was considerate. He was compassionate towards Mary where he didn't want to disgrace her publicly. Like, that takes real character. That takes a man, for me, that, you know, he wasn't just living to the letter of the law. I think he understood the Father's heart. And so he's just going, oh, I'm not sure exactly what to do here. I I think there's ways we can work around this to to make it work or, you know, try to to look after everyone as best as as we can. But then the next bit is... We not only see strength of character, but we see strength of faith. You know, here's the angel's message. And yeah, in a dream, you know, like a lot of people just go, oh, mm, that was just a, a dream. I, I need to just carry on with what I'm deciding to do. No, he just went, oh, that, that was clear. That was God. And I need to honor that. I need to, to, to fulfill that. And the fact is he would have done that in conflict to what was appropriate for culture. We don't know whether they were rejected by the community. We don't know whether they, they all of a sudden became, oh, that's that couple, you know. Mary's pregnant and they're not even married yet. You know, the, the, the gossip and the hearsay in the community, who knows how bad that would have been. And he would have realised that. But again, that strength of faith and that strength of character said, no, God's somebody to do it, I'm doing it. Shows that he was courageous enough to face those challenges. And again, he stays true and, and faithful where, you know, after Jesus is born, the, the angel comes to him again and says, hey, Joseph, you need to get out of here. Take your family to Egypt because Herod's coming to, to get him. And, you know, even, even that is an amazing, you know, it fulfills some, some more prophecy. Again, there's so many prophecies fulfilled in this, in this early stage of Jesus' life. But there's also an image there, isn't there? where it was Joseph in the Old Testament that took the people of God into Egypt and it was God that called them back. And here again in the life of Jesus, we have Joseph taking the Son of God into Egypt and when the time was right, God called him back. There's just some beautiful connections there, this thread of the hope of Jesus throughout Scripture. You know, tradition tells us that you know, Jesus was raised in the in the in the trade of his father. So, you know, Joseph took on this mantle as father of this child that he knew wasn't directly his. Taught him his trade, taught him this to be a carpenter, to be a builder. But more importantly, what we do know in Scripture is that he instilled spiritual disciplines and practices into his life. In Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52, we read the account of Joseph taking his family to Jerusalem, to worship for Passover. And it says every year he would take them. And for the Jewish culture, that was, number one, it showed that they weren't the poor of the poor, because the poor of the poor couldn't move around like that. But it showed that his devotion and his, and his spiritual discipline to sort of say, no, each Passover we go, we, we go to Jerusalem, we go to the temple. And if you're familiar with that passage, you know, they, they go... They celebrate Passover and they leave thinking that you know, Jesus is just with his mates and you know, he's, he's on the way as well. But they realise that he's, he's missing at the, at the end of the night and they search for him for three days. Now, any parent here? 
don't know about you, I've, I've, I've lost a child for about 15 minutes and I was freaking out. Three days. <laughs> I do finally find him. But again, you can almost see this, just this strength of character, this, this strength of Joseph's faith, where he doesn't just blow up. He doesn't go, Jesus, what are you doing? Mary, Mary freaked out a little bit. But it just says that, that you know, when Jesus said, you know, oh, didn't you know, oh, I'm, I'm going about my father's work. I'm meant to be in my father's house. You know, Joseph just took that in his stride and just said, all right, well, we're going home now. And Jesus was obedient, went home with him. And that's the last we hear of Jesus. You know, like, Joseph, sorry. That's, that's the last we hear of Joseph in Scripture. And so tradition does hold that, you know, quite possibly that he, he had passed away somewhere in that, that time span between Jesus growing up and, and him entering into ministry. You know, we, we have that account of when Jesus was on, on the cross where he asked John to look after his mother. And, you know, that was a very um, cultural thing for, for, for the widow. You'd, you'd ask friends and family to, to, to look after the widow. But what we have there of Joseph is very very genuine, very human connection to this story of Jesus. You know, the, you know Mary's always put in the spotlight, you know, the Virgin Mary, how great she was and, and all that sort of thing. But I just always go, but how great was this Joseph character? How amazing for this, for this man to, to, to take on this responsibility, to take on this call. You know, displaying just such amazing character and faith, faithfulness to his family and to his God, and faithfulness to the call that was given to him. Yeah, Joseph, no, marry, marry, marry. Take on this, this challenge of being the father of the Messiah. Yeah, for me, this just gives Christmas just such a genuine human perspective on a miraculous event. I'd love to know what Joseph was thinking. <laughs> I'd love to know what, what him and Mary spoke about in, the, in, the, in those early years. You know, what, what conflicting sort of thoughts and ideas and wonder was going on in that household? Okay, we've, we've got this child and, he's, and he's, he's just like all the other children, but we know what God's told us. I just see someone that just obviously just had such a strength, such a resolve to go, yep, this is crazy, this is nuts, this is unbelievable, but I believe. Yeah, was it? Yeah, Christmas is a supernatural event with truly miraculous events, with reality shifting repercussions. But there's also a very humble human experience that we can all relate to. but it speaks so strongly of the nature and the purpose of God and the purpose of the Messiah, that he came to connect us together, to connect us to God. He's been doing this since his birth and he's doing it today. So church, I encourage you, be bearers of that hope, be bearers of that love of who Jesus is to us. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you for this word. I thank you, God, that you are just here with us.
that you are Emmanuel. And Lord, I pray that as we do just celebrate this Christmas, Lord God, that we don't just we don't just do the regular thing, that we don't just go with the, the flow and the run-of-the-mill celebration and sing the carols and open the presents, Lord God. I pray that we just take that moment to truly reflect on how great you are and how great this gift is of Jesus Christ. We thank you. We thank you for the opportunity it gives us, Lord God, to show your love and your hope to all those around us. And I do pray, Lord God, as everyone, whatever their plans may be, Lord God, I pray, especially to those, Lord God, that that haven't realised that hope and that love yet, Lord God, that this can be an opportunity to really declare that, to show them that hope and that love that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.